Okay, hold on. <laughs> I forget where that goes in the at the start of the show. I think I think we announce it, oh. right? So it'll oh. be like, "Hey, you're listening to Heat Seeking Panther." Come on, Dave. <laughs> it's supposed to go. <laughs> Yo, you, 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 too far. Too many buttons on the sound. Wait, oh, pull it back. Pull it back. Okay. Let's try this again. Yeah, okay, okay, ready? Uh, no. You're listening. <sighs> Okay, you ready? Okay. You're listening to Heat Seeking Panther. I'm Miles. This is the fuck, man. You gotta wait till the end. <laughs> and I'm Dave. Wow, wow, wow. We got uh we got four cubs in the den. Four cubs in the Panther den this time. Um special guest Austin Cook. Hello. And uh not special guest Emily. Special. I'm just here for the yucks. <laughs> is this your third episode no. with us? Oh, it's, it's playing the Pink Panther now. <laughs> okay, fourth episode. Yeah, because was it? I was on Wild at Heart, and then Deadfall, and Guarding Test. Guarding Test. Oh God, Guarding Test. Mm. <laughs> Garden Test. Garden. Garden Test. <laughs> okay, and uh, we're here this time to talk about The Rock. Welcome to The Rock. Do you guys notice that two different people say that in the movie? I'm surprised it's only Wait, two. Just two? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Because they say it maybe like or, 400 times. Well, <laughs> Ed Harris says it, and then uh, Sean Connery says it later. Maybe that tour guide also says it. I mean, honestly, sometimes yeah. I forgot what I was watching, so I think that like the more they said it, the, the, the more I could have followed I, the actual I, plot of the movie. I got confused because they mentioned Rockets a lot, so I wasn't sure if we were watching The Rock or The Rockets. He, he, he mentions Rocket Man, too. He, he makes love. He makes Man. love to Rocket Man. And yeah. then at the end, when he kills the... Um, <laughs> Oh, I forget his name. He Dude, shoots a rocket at him. You got to be so goddamn charming. Like, if I tried to put on Rocket Man, she'd be like, nah, what are you doing? Like, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's, it's definitely not a lovemaking. I don't know how he pulls that off. Rocket Man, Rocket Man. So where where do we even start with this? Do we want to start with some history? Do we want to start with uh, the movie itself? What, what um, we... I took like nine pages of notes. I have so many notes. See, I took none. I was not none. I only took a couple though. I was so engrossed in it. This really? movie is this movie is highly highly entertaining. Yeah, like really. in it's a very the most fun Michael Bay movie. It is yeah. the best Michael Bay movie. And I have some reasons for that in my notes. Um, Does okay. it have anything to do with a lack of Aerosmith? <laughs> <laughs> oh, look! If if you're gonna start bad mouthing Con Air already, <laughs> yeah, let's, we might just have to end this podcast right here. You're not allowed to be on that episode. Um, okay, so I l- let me. Uh, l- l- I'll just lay some history on you and the listeners at home. <laughs> so this is uh, Nicolas Cage's first movie with Jerry Bruckheimer. They would go on to make Con Air, Gone in sixty seconds, National Treasure. Mm-hmm. G-Force, the one where he plays a CGI guinea pig. And um, Wait, hold on. Hold on. That I was a Bruckheimer joint? Yeah. Seriously? Because it's like an action movie with guinea pigs. Huh. Uh, and then a Sorcerer's Apprentice, and that was the last one uh, as of now. So I don't know if that soured. Probably not the last. 
Yeah, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm going to guess there's a few more in the, the works here. My, my guess is that um, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer is kind of like looking at Nick Cage as a, uh, a goose who laid a golden egg. Because he, I mean, Con Air was also big. This was big. A National Treasure was big enough. Gone in 60 Seconds was big enough. So, Well, you know, you know Bruckheimer and Michael Bay worked quite a lot. I think this is their second movie together. Yeah. Like they did a total of like five in a row. Did they? I four, four or five. What'd they do after this? What? Armageddon. It was Armageddon. Oh. Yeah. Criterion Collection classic. Yes. Armageddon. Well, you know, so The Rock was a Criterion release also. It was a limited Criterion release. Right. Well, and the reason for that is uh, I think Michael Bay um, helped get Criterion off the ground. I think he was one of their first funders, oh. and like, which, which is why... They put out like some of the first Criterion releases are The Rock and Armageddon, <laughs> <laughs> and and the Criterion execs are like embarrassed about it now. Like I read, <laughs> I, I read an interview Thankfully, where they. I think it was just laser discs, so they don't have to worry too much about, <laughs> about that. So okay, so Jerry Bruckheimer was part of a duo of super producers from the '80s, uh, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, and uh, they were both kind of like. They were like Jerry Bruckheimer was a low-level assistant producer in the late '70s, early '80s, and Don Simpson was a marketer of exploitation films. And um, they got together and and just had a string of hits <clears throat> with uh, Flashdance, mm. Beverly Hills Cop, Top Gun, and Beverly Hills Cop Two. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> there's a lot of fists being raised yeah. in, in the den right now. That's an unbelievable run. Yeah. So they they were like making a lot of money and then um they hit a lull with days of thunder which was top gun and race cars yeah that's right <laughs> oh my god that's the name of the movie yeah. someone was talking about this to me the it. other night and i was trying i was trying to remember the name of it oh and so they did they did uh days of thunder which underperformed they did the ref with dennis leary i believe um which was trouble and then but then they uh had a comeback in the early 90s with dangerous minds who was in that? Some white woman goes to the hood and teaches uh, oh, black Michelle black, Pfeiffer. Yeah, she teaches uh, black yeah. teens about poetry. How like Shakespeare was like the first MC, and <laughs> and uh, that gags- movie changed my life. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Crimson Tide and Bad Boys. So they gave Michael Bay his first job. He had the in 1995. He had won the Directors Guild Commercial Director of the Year award because he was going from music videos to making commercials. It was his first first movie job. I mean, he, yeah. he's been in, yeah. Well, we talked about this on an earlier episode about how Michael Bay and David Fincher were in film school together and were like rivals. And <laughs> David Fincher thought he was like a hack and because uh, Michael Bay just wanted to shoot everything at sunset with like s- sweaty women in cars or whatever. Well, and uh, Michael Bay proved him right, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. But um, a, a really lucrative hack. And uh, and Bad Boys was was big business, so um, they started doing this movie. But then Don Simpson overdosed. Um, Is that how he died? Yeah. Oh. So he was he, he was like uh, famous for like sp- spending exorbitant amounts of money on uh, movies and in his personal life on just everything and throwing it around and just being like completely unhinged. So it's kind of like everybody in this movie, everybody who's touched this movie yeah. is covered in cocaine and, yeah. and I mean, wasted yeah. dollars. It was really wild because, so he was trying to, 
he, his like super rich friends like David Geffen and Jeffrey Katzenberg were like trying to force him into rehab. And he was like, no, I, I can't, I can't go to rehab. So instead he hired this doctor who was, uh, Dr. Stephen Ammerman, who was also a drug addict to help him. Cause he was like, so he got Brian Wilson's doctor to help. He was like, I want to get off drugs, (laughs) but I don't want to go through withdrawal. So like his, his, this other drug addict just started prescribing him like morphine and other shit. So he, at the end, like he, he finally died with cocaine, Valium, morphine, and something called Venla vaccine in his system. Yeah, right. he died into production of this movie, which is why it's dedicated to him fittingly. And I don't know. I like to think of like, you know, Jerry Bruckheimer was at a crossroads here and uh, Nick Cage became, you know, his rock. His rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his, he was he was adrift at sea and Nick Cage was his rock. Wow. Who knows how many more Days of Thunder we could have gotten if uh, Don Simpson hadn't. You, oh, you guys have been some real bad boys right now. <laughs> well, interestingly enough, this um, so the whole idea behind casting Nick Cage for this movie was that, like, with Beverly Hills Cop, they cast Eddie Murphy, who wasn't an action star, as an action star, and Top Gun too. Like Tom Cruise wasn't an action star at that mm. point, so they were like, Nick Cage is the next Eddie Murphy. Well, and well you Tom know, see, Nick Cage wasn't their first choice, though. No? No, I believe Arnold Schwarzenegger actually was offered the role. True story, yeah. Really? It was and Arnold. He, he read the script and he said, this doesn't make any sense. This is... <laughs> he was basically like, this is shit. Yeah. And, this is, and this is beneath and if me. Get, I'm not doing this. If you couldn't this, get wow. Arnold in 95, 96, it's, you're not... That's like, yeah. that's like kindergarten cop time. Yeah. It was like true... Was it True Lies? Had that come yeah, out? Yeah, it was right around then, too. Okay. True Lies... Junior... Junior, I, I, junior later, he said yes to that or, one. Junior and twins. And twins, I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Wait, he also, read the script for Trins, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this. This is great. Yeah. Oh, I could get pregnant? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it makes complete sense. Could you imagine Rock. someone trying to pitch like a movie like Junior nowadays? <laughs> like, <laughs> who, who's the modern-day Arnold Schwarzenegger who would take that role? The um, Rock. The Rock. The Ro- yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Maybe. Uh-huh. Maybe Nicolas Cage, actually. <laughs> but no, The Rock. The Rock actually would. He'd be more more the Schwarzenegger of our generation. Yeah. He, so, because The Rock had, he already had that one baby movie, though. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne the Rock referring Johnson. to him by did his Christian a, name. Did he do and Mr. then also did Vin Mr. Diesel. Nanny or? Yeah. Yeah. Vin Diesel would make a good pregnant man too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vin Diesel was in that was already in that Tooth Fairy movie. Yeah. What was that called? Nobody remembers. The, I remember the... He doesn't even remember. Yeah, that. Did that really happen, the, or is that from, fairy? like, an alternate timeline? <laughs> it's like the Sinbad, like, uh, yeah. Genie, Genie movie. Yeah, like Shazam, Shazam. <laughs> We're just of the generation where we remember some Vin Diesel Tooth Fairy movie, but it never actually happened. <laughs> All right, so with, with uh, those little pieces of history out of the way, um, has ever, had ever everyone seen this movie in the room? I had not, no. Many years ago. Am I the only one? Uh, you over over ten years. No. What did you think? Um, it was a, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, like not sharing a microphone. I know. I'm, I'm, uh, like interviewing it, you. It, it makes, feels like it piercing. makes me anxious because I feel like I'm being interviewed. Well, do you want to hold it? All right. So you hadn't seen it, and you thought it was fun. <laughs> Austin, how did it hold up? Um, you know, there was a lot I forgot, and there's a lot in retrospect I didn't think about. Uh, knowing about Michael Bay's movie career since then, yeah. In retrospect, it's it's 
you can see it's, it just screams Michael Bay. Yeah. Everything I, from the car scenes to the really terrible depiction of minorities. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, Ooh. and just, just the nonsensical action. Uh, it, it's, I, it, it's fun. It's a fun movie. It was fun then too, but now it's, it's very, I don't know. I feel like it's become something, just another one of his many disasters. Like yeah. There's kind of like two type. I mean, there, there's a few types of characters. There's like the, the like tough guys and then there's like civilians mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of, you know, and, um, and there's like, you know, so the civilians are like the, the ineffective, like, or ineffectual, uh, like FBI guys and everything. And everyone who's like, do it by the book. This is the, a depiction of the most inept kind of like government and like military. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. I love like, also, yeah, the, the sheer amount of tough guys, but yeah, I keep going with it. No, I just, I have like uh, taking this movie at face value. I have like zero faith in our armed forces. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah, at all. True. <laughs> well, also the fact that like the whole thing rides on that. He has a ransom just to help. Like he just, all he wants to do is help like 65, like veterans, families, like a small amount of, so he's like risking all of these people's lives in an entire city to get like, just like some like reparations for these like veterans. And the government's like, no, we're just going to go there and stop him. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do something so heinous. He wasn't even willing to pull the trigger when the time came. So why did you not think this through? You know, Ed Harris, what's your problem? All right. So let's, let's get into the the story. Let's um, talk about what actually happens for those listening who have never seen the rock. Um, And you want it to be spoiled. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's not much to spoil. <laughs> if you're going to listen to a podcast about a movie before watching it, I think you've got the, the you know, backwards. I don't know if we could be any clearer that there's <laughs> we're going to be talking about the movie <laughs> before you click play. I, I would like to say, though, that there are no spoilers because there's nothing to spoil. I yeah, think, I mean, for plot, you, we pretty much covered the plot. You, you, could, you could walk in at the movie at just about any point and have mm-hmm. the same experience. Um, it, um, so Ed Harris, it, we open on Ed Harris, uh, being the toughest of the tough guys. Um, what, I mean, what was his actual rank or he's role? a general Bri- in the Marines. General yeah. Or something like that, yeah. And, uh, and he is holding some people hostage, some, some tourists hostage on Alcatraz. That's um, how it begins though. It begins. He's got flashbacks. He's had his wife graved. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. He's given, he plays his Congressional Medal of, of Honor slash Jesus. Yeah. yeah well, to, uh, to the, <laughs> on, on top of her grave. Yeah. Cause yeah. When the, when the, the guy and the one, of, I was trying to explain that joke. The, well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. All right. So, I mean, the movie like goes to great pains to be, it's like, we know that we're making a veteran, a like heroic veteran, uh, the bad guy. So like, let's just make him like the best of, he's such a good guy. He's such a good they, bad guy. I got to yeah. say, they really did flesh out his character. He's the most human character of anybody in that movie. It's true. In the whole movie. And honestly, so Ed Harris has never won an Oscar. And he could have won that one for that, I think. I really I, think he, could he have. really like nominated four times, but never won. Hmm. So. He, he elevated the material for sure. He really did. Um, and he like so he he's really upset because uh, America has all these 
soldiers fighting secret wars in China, in China. And, <laughs> and other other places, <laughs> and um, they are being buried in paupers' graves. Their families are not being given the mm. medals and money and whatever enough money to have funerals, and and so he's gonna hold people hostage on Alcatraz and threaten to also shoot rockets. I don't know why it has to be a two-part plan, honestly, because the, holding the people... Yeah. yeah, why does he also have to blow up San Francisco? Yeah, and then he also to has... To raise the stakes, because there'd be no movie if so, he wasn't, like, going to blow up the whole city. I'm exactly. just saying, like... I, I, okay, life. so hear me out. This might sound crazy. This, <laughs> this might sound crazy, but I believe Michael Bay was trying to... He was getting into philosophy at this point. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't guarantee this, but he was looking at the... the the classic dilemma of the trolley car <laughs> driver. You know the trolley. I don't know if it's a trolley car driver, but yeah. but so yeah. On one side, you can kill five people. You go the other way, you kill just one person. And I think this was his way of of dealing with that and finding an answer in Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. Yeah, was, but he, he was, chickens out at the end because he just has him like bail on the missile anyway. He just well, has him send it into the guy. ocean. He's a good He's guy. I like imagining the the future uh, where that Michael Bay is imagining, where like future like school children are reading in their books. Um, the actual, it's like the rock dilemma instead of the trolley <laughs> the rock car dilemma. You know? Yeah, yeah. It'll be like how Sophie's Choice yeah. really changed the idea of whatever it was called before. Save eighty one tourists on Alcatraz, or save the city of San Francisco from chemical weapons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, all right, so... There's no right answer. <laughs> the Bay Conundrum. The Bay Conundrum. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, Ed Harris has these missiles, uh, chemical weapons full of uh, tiny green... Tiny little green glass green. balls. They look like alien eggs. Yeah. Like sacks of alien eggs. And, and there's a part where Nick Cage's character is like, oh, yes, the, the classic bead... Well, uh, remember, he's just a cool, sexy scientist, and he is actually a chemical, biological super freak. Yes, that's... <laughs> super freak, indeed. He's a chemical, biological man, and uh, that's what he does. So Nick Cage plays uh, Stanley, Dr. Stanley Goodspeed, mm-hmm. um, beetle maniac, chemical super freak. Yeah. Originally, <laughs> originally named Bill uh, Goodspeed. He really? changed it. Yeah, he changed it to Stanley. That was his idea. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You can look it up. Google it. I like that Nick Cage like just dug his heels in on like the the first name of his no, character. Actually, he, he he's like, "Listen, of, he, I'm walking, or you're changing his name to Stanley." He chose he chose a lot for his yeah, character. Actually, like uh, I think a good reason that uh, this movie is actually is like the one fun Michael Bay movie is I guess it was just like a dumb script that Schwarzenegger turned down and. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted Nick Cage, but he was like, okay, but I want to change. He, he and Sean Connery changed the script a lot. They, mm-hmm. they like, like Sean Connery introduced the, his, his character's daughter that wasn't in the original script. Basically every. That's an important part. Well, you know, they, they had, they had many writers on this and including yeah. Aaron Sorkin and Quentin Tarantino. What? So, yeah, they, yeah. They script doctor. They're not credited, Oh. but you can totally see the Aaron Sorkin. I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> this is like his warm up to West Wing, really. Yeah. yeah, and so Nicolas Cage. I mean, he he wrote a lot of those a lot of those ad, were ad libs. Zeus's butthole. Yeah. Zeus's butthole. Yeah. Zeus's that the butthole. sex scene was a Nick Cage ad lib. No, actually, oh, yeah, the peaches and sor- peaches sorbet. The sexy talk. What he says. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I, I got. He did actually. He he did say. 
that that came from a part of his a time in his life where he would do stuff like really that. Yeah, that? he did say that. Where he, where it's he, actually pretty much exactly how I imagine banging Nicolas Cage would be. Very. That's not how I imagine it, but <laughs> you know, to each of their own. <laughs> I think I'm more in the Zandali lane. <laughs> like I feel like that's that's a more sympathetic depiction of banging Nicolas Cage. <laughs> But guys, we still have like 25 years to go. So there's going to be, we have many chances mm. and many different ways well, we can do to it imagine. Full of the ultimate banging Nicolas Cage circumstance in a little while. We'll, we'll, let's all think about it. You guys should do a, just a special episode. We'll rank them next Wait, time. Yeah. Oh my God, that's after at the end, or like we should have an intermission with, yeah, an episode just purely about Nicolas Cage sex scenes. Yeah. Ranking the sex scenes. Ranking the yeah. sex scenes. So he's a fun doctor. We open on him and his, uh, the other FBI chemical expert uh, playing like dominoes with floppy disks in their... Uh, I mean, how fucking bored are I they? I know. So their don't, job is don't just... Don't they have shit to do? They, they just work sit for around the FBI. the FBI. And then people are like, okay, get in. We just got chemical weapons delivered to us. Like, you guys need to, to dismantle them. And, uh, and I can't, even, it's my brain already hurts trying to describe this fucking movie. Like there's a, there's a chemical weapon that got mailed to them from someone. It was the, the Serbs, I believe were, were sending it to the Bosnians oh. because they hate each other in the nineties. It, it was, they, they were talking about it. Yeah. And, it, uh, and, uh, the, so they intercepted it. I, I don't know exactly how they got the package. I don't think they explained it really. And in the package, there's a baby doll that a teddy uh, bear that's that spits uh, bomb poison gas, poison gas yeah. out of its mouth, almost kills everyone at the FBI. It's got a bomb also, and so not only does it have poison gas, but it also contains a bomb. <laughs> that's our, that's our introduction to Nicolas Cage's character. That's how we know he you know he he plays hard, he works hard. <laughs> <laughs> right, because, okay, so here's, a, here's an excerpt from uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Corelli by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson. Um, there's a, this is sort of Rashomon. There's a couple of different stories here. So uh, a- according to Michael Bay, Nick Cage was determined to show off his physique in the film. He recalled Nick telling him, Mike, I want to rip my shirt off and show my pecs because I've been working out. Bay replied, but you're going to look silly because you're surrounded by Navy SEAL, the baddest of the bad, and you're just a lowly FBI agent. Bay claimed in the end, Nick got his way when they were shooting a scene in his character's apartment. He said, one day I show up on set to shoot a scene and Nick comes in with a robe on. Suddenly he pulls it off and he's wearing this little pinkish purple Speedo type underwear. And I said, okay, let's just get it over with. As a result, there is a scene in the movie where FBI scientist Stanley Goodspeed is seen lounging around in his home playing his guitar and wearing underpants. Yeah. Okay, so that's Michael Bay's uh, recollection. That's, that's the scene where he finds out his girlfriend is going to have a baby, I believe. Yeah. Um, but Nick, who almost seems ashamed of his muscular figure despite the work he puts into it. This is, that's uh, Ian Markham Smith and Liz, Liz Hodgson's. Uh, I, I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, uh, disputes the story. He said... I want to rip my shirt off and show my pecs. I didn't say that. I've never used the words my pecs. Nick has a completely different recollection of why the scene was shot that way. He did concede, it's a funny story, but while not, look, 
while not looking at all amused, he explained he wanted the scene uh, like that because it was an amusing follow-up to the previous scene in which Goodspeed was locked in a gas chamber being contaminated by deadly mm-hmm. chemicals. He said, the image of him alone in his socks and underwear with a guitar strumming chords and a glass of wine. That was funny, but it wasn't about, oh God, you've got to see me nude. It's not. I'm always trying to keep my clothes on. Sure you are. Mm. You know, there is a good contrast. One yeah, second he's... I, so the truth think, is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So do you think that he also wanted to do the pooping scene in Guarding Tess, which is the only scene where we actually see him in his own home? <laughs> I, I do now. <laughs> at, this, at this time in his career, he, he had to have at least his shirt off in every movie. And that little tiny underwear. He has that underwear in Wild at Heart. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, and... So now it's confirmed that's I'm really the sure kind of underwear, underwear that he wears. Yeah, yeah, guarantee he, it. He definitely... Um, <laughs> and we all agree. I love, uh, we just all agree on this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. And, and he, but he just basically created this character from whole cloth. It seems like, it seems like the character was just like Bill Goodspeed, just like action man. And he, he really put the emphasis on, uh, that he's a nerd. He, he like wanted everyone to call him doctor in most of the scenes. So he gets, he like plays a contrast to Sean Connery's character. Um, being like a tough guy, which I think really works. Like, I guess this is the point where I'm going to gush and say <laughs> that um, Nick Cage is really good in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's no question oh, about that. Oh, 100%. He, he makes the movie. I mean, it, uh, talk, we've talked before about like how he he's best when he's allowed to be a cartoon and kind of like a cartoonish world. And he pulled that off in this movie. And the Michael Bay world is a cartoonish world. And he's kind of like the perfect leading man for a Michael Bay movie. Like he really makes it work. All of his like really weird line readings and stuff. And the fact that he, he wanted to say how in the name of Zeus's butthole did, uh-huh. which uh, apparently he, he, wa- he insisted it was in there, but he wouldn't tell people why. He didn't want to curse. Uh, most of his lines, he does. He says like "gee whiz" and "a hole." Yeah, he, he specifically wanted to be. I think I was kind of. He wanted to pull off a nerdy persona, and nerds don't oh. cuss. You know, it's the perfect levity. It's exactly what that movie needs. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, otherwise, the situation is so intense and over the top. Right. Mm-hmm. That you know you can't have like sh- you can't have someone like Schwarzenegger come in. Like you can't. That's too tough. Yeah. Playing a doctor. Yeah, no way. Well, it could maybe be Bruce Willis. That's literally the only. Person now I kind of wonder if they maybe they wanted instead of instead of uh, Sean Connery, they wanted Arnold Schwarzenegger, but that would change the whole story. No, because he'd be too young. Exactly, it wouldn't make any sense. Oh, he's oh yeah. <laughs> he he says I'm looking here um, in the in the book. He says uh, I'm not going to lose my cool and debase myself and start swearing and say fuck this, fuck that. Uh, I didn't want that kind of attitude. I thought that would be unusual. I wanted him to be into God. I wanted Stanley to be a somewhat <laughs> religious man, which I thought would be somewhat unusual in an action movie. <laughs> I don't, know really I, I don't think we saw much of the Christianity <laughs> in, well, in his performance there. So Nick Cage is good. Um, oh, he also he wanted to take this role because... Um, he, he said that action was the only genre that he hadn't mastered yet. <laughs> I don't also don't know if that's true, but uh, he, he was embarrassed by Firebirds, like, uh-huh. which is his only previous like true action was, was movie. Was that the Italian one? No, it's, oh. uh, it's like a piece of war propaganda, basically. It's, mm. it's like a video game. It, it's Top Gun okay, with I helicopters. Don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> don't. Or no, actually, I mean, you should, but... Uh, don't expect anything. Wait, Top Gun with helicopters. So we got Top Gun with cars. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, okay. Top Gun, which hmm. one's Top Gun with boats? That Hulk Hogan? Speed. One? Speed oh, 2, right. cruise control. Yeah. 
Oh, of course. Which is also, I think, uh, another philosophical dilemma. All right. So uh, pe- people being held hostage, uh, they call Nick Cage in. He's, he's about to have sex with his pregnant wife. Or they're having sex. They're having sex, and he's... Um, with, like, all the candles on the roof? Yeah, like a million candles. Like, that's they insane. They live like, a big, giant transformer? They live under a bridge. They live under yeah, they look a like bridge? a highway overpass or something. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, they're, they're fucking, and he says something about peach sor- peach sorbet persuasion yeah and uh she's in pigtails and then he's like he he gets a call and he's like it's work i gotta go and she's like no i'm coming after you you can't i'm pregnant but his pregnant wife follows him to to san francisco and um she's pretty much the only woman in the movie i think she you know there's another woman uh i think one of the hostages has a speaking line <laughs> oh, yeah, that one. but otherwise yeah pretty pretty testosterone yeah. filled she's not uh, even a character either she's just a character device for exactly. nicholas cage's yeah. character <laughs> so it's it's a movie about men yeah. doing it really Lots is of tough men oh the daughter Oh, right. Sean Connery's daughter yes. too, but same oh, thing. She's just so a character cool. device to flesh out his. So they they didn't follow through with that at all, no. right? No, I'm yeah. I mean, are are we to assume that he went to her mm-hmm. after at, at he disappeared end. at the end? I or does he just like go on the run? I I think he'd probably keep in touch. Maybe he's got nothing know. else since he's been in jail for thirty years. Where else is he going to go? You know? Yeah, back to Scotland. I don't think so. <laughs> oh. um so the rest of the movie is just the hostage situation and oh well and they break out someone else want to take over the plot for me i feel like i'm getting lost miles yeah sure so basically they go they send a bunch of marines uh oh man wait we haven't even we we haven't even introduced james bond yet have we right okay so basically connery playing bond like 30 years later uh is the only man to have escaped from Alcatraz. And he knows a bunch of government secrets about Roswell and like the JFK assassination Mm -hmm. conspiracy. He he has microfilm that proves every single conspiracy that hidden somewhere. The moon landing is fake, like all this crazy shit. So then, so he's been in jail for 30 years and then, or not even in jail. Basically the FBI has just been keeping him hostage, like in a cell. Um, and he's a British agent. Yeah, right. You see, the um, problem is if he gives the microfilm, then they'll kill him because it's too much. You know, he knows too much. Mm. Yeah. You know what that is? That's the prisoner's dilemma. Yeah. <laughs> Another philosophical. Yeah. You know, this movie's just full it's, of it. It's he's, really Michael Bay studied philosophy. It's a really high-minded. Movie. <laughs> um, Michael Bay's favorite writer is Descartes. I don't know if you guys know this, <laughs> but. I think, therefore, I am. <laughs> so, so, so they have to break into Alcatraz, right? So they send Connery and uh, Cage, Cage's character, Goodspeed, uh, because he's the FBI's best like biochemist, and he's the only one that could disarm the the chemical uh, missiles, and then. Uh, with like a, a crack team of Marines who all get like Cracked. obliterated <laughs> within like the first four minutes that they're in the prison. Yeah. And they just, been, yeah. they just get gunned down. And then, uh, Connery and cage are basically like left to find the missiles and disarm them. Uh, and meanwhile, um, meanwhile, Ed Harris's team is, you know, slowly falling apart. Uh, and they're, and they're mutinying and, uh, and the whole thing is going to shit. And meanwhile, San Francisco is um, under threat. I love that um, 
he's totally okay with like slaughtering all those Marines too. Yeah, right. He's like, well, no, he wasn't okay. I'll he, just uh, he gave hold him a more chance. hostages for for he, he, their. He did later. give them a chance yeah, to be fair. Um, a he said, could. you know, he's like, don't make me do. Put this. down your weapons. Walk away. And I feel I feel like I was fair. And that we was found even, out all this fun stuff like about the gold mine that's under. Uh, oh yeah. Alcatraz oh, we haven't even got to the gold mine. And the. With all the carts and the furnaces. Well, right, yeah, because they have to... Well, before we talk about the layout of Alcatraz... Also, wait, I think Miles is starting to say something. It um, looks like you're stuck between the rock and a hard case. Uh. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> wow, did you just make that up? Yeah, man. It's off the top of my head, you know? It's, um, well, I've, I want to talk about the car chase, um, mm, which hum, is like... Humvee versus Ferrari. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like kind of the the centerpiece of the whole movie, and again wasn't in the script. Michael oh, Bay really? Michael Bay just wanted to do a car chase. Well, I mean, how do you write a car chase though? Right, cars go <laughs> yeah. cars go fast. Yeah, things explode. <laughs> uh, I remember feeling as a kid and having hearing people talk about this as like like the new gold standard of car chases. Like Bullet did it. French Connection. Or French Connection was what I was thinking of. Michael Bay perfected it. He raised it to the next level. But watching it again, I was... It's cool, but... It's fine. Well, well, they improved upon it so much later on. You know, that was the bare bones. And and ever since then, they have to throw in something new to keep it interesting. I just... the, The whole way that Michael Bay directs, like, his his camera never stops moving, and he just, and he loves angles. He just loves weird angles, which is, I think, part of why his movies are so exhausting, because it's constantly, like, stuff's happening, stuff is happening, stuff Mm -hmm. is happening, and you're, like, even through the dialogue scenes, which there are a lot of action, like, for an action movie, like, there is a lot of talking, Mm -hmm. and... um, There's a lot of really melodramatic, like, string music underneath dialogue. Yeah, (laughs) under... Hans Zimmer. The constant constant score. That's why I fucking hate Hans Zimmer. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just... (laughs) And it's just men just having man feelings. White men having man feelings. And, like, you know, everyone's just playing out their own daddy drama on each other. (laughs) Yeah, and then even the one... the 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 marines just get they're so angsty like all of all of the marines on ed harris's team are just so fucking angsty they can't wait to just like let those rockets go i mean these are the marines who agree to take people hostage on alcatraz with with ed harris they're it's not they're they're not a crack team they they're a cracked team i know you guys made that pun in a different way earlier better but i made it again um I'm going to edit it out, though, so it just sounds like um, (laughs) they're a team. End of that. (laughs) They're a team. (laughs) (laughs) This episode, I'm just cutting out like every fourth word, so all all the senses are really stilted. So so there wasn't one of his members, uh, played by Tony Todd, who was also the Candyman. I forget his name in the movie. He, he, was he was the bad guy, right? Yeah, with he the was glasses. The, he was a real mean-looking yeah. mofo, you know? He oh, was yeah. he was a rough-looking guy. He, he They didn't really talk about him at all in the movie, and then he was the one who decided, you know what, Ed Harris, I'm in charge now. Yeah, because they, they go to such lengths to make Ed Harris a good guy. Yeah. So they needed another They need a bad real guy. bad guy. Yeah, you know? the baddest secret bad guy the whole time. The line about mercenaries, where he's like, 
when the the day we agreed to this job is the day we stopped being Marines and and became mercenaries, and mercenaries get paid. Oh yeah, <laughs> he he only cares about the money, man. Uh-huh. Clearly, not like Ed Harris who just cares about the veterans. <laughs> yeah, just those specific veterans. He, right. Ed Harris, in a way, any veterans living in the city of San Francisco, he's no, unconcerned. Fuck about. Yeah, no, fuck yeah. them. <laughs> just just those like ten <laughs> veterans from that weird secret China war. <laughs> those veterans and their families, yeah. their skin can melt right off. <laughs> <laughs> They also um, he wants to make America great again, and that means eliminating San Francisco. He really is like the most Trumpian character. He Ed Harris is kind of like a well, Trump character, except he he kind of he's presidential he's in smart, a bit of way. Yeah, yeah. He's more presidential. He can also negotiate. He's a better negotiator. Can no, we, okay, can say that? You, you know you, you know what it is. Ed Harris is what. Uh, like MAGA people feel they, they, it's the fantasy that they see Donald Trump as. He is a great negotiator. He's super principled, but he's been pushed too far to play by the mm-hmm. rules. He knows that playing by the rules won't get things done. And so he's going to put himself on the line, put, put his whole life on the line for the veterans and for their families. And he's so patriotic, you know. He's I mean, just a- yeah, he fought in Vietnam, Panama, Desert Storm, uh, Grenada, as they call it, yes. in the movie. He won the Congressional Medal of Jesus, <laughs> which is what they watch the movie. They do say that. <laughs> I'm not I making remember, that up. I don't know if you had this thought, Miles, but we were trying to figure out if that was like, is that a real thing? Or is was that guy, that guy's like terrible delivery of that line? Well, like, was he trying to say like Congressional Medal of Honor and then like he was supposed to stop and then Jesus, but yeah. he just said Congressional Medal of Jesus. Yeah, because yeah, he says says something like that. He's like he, he's like Grenada and the Congressional Medal of Jesus. This guy's done everything, or something like yeah. that. But Jesus the, Frank. That's what he says. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus Frank. Frank. The Congressional Medal of Jesus Frank. <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing. Because <laughs> they they make some allusion to like the American Revolution too, and that you know to to be truly patriotic, mm-hmm. so you have to break the law sometimes. I mean, it's the, just the like crackpot like maniacs using using the founding fathers as some kind of like north star to justify like all of their insane psychopathic behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Just picturing like Stephen Miller like loading a rocket full of little green balls like headed, headed straight for like Syria. It would still go to San Francisco. Yeah, yeah it would still. Yeah, you're right. Any, if anyone's gonna hit get hit by nerve gas, it's gonna be. <laughs> by the way, a very '90s thing, nerve gas. We don't see nerve gas being used as a weapon anymore. Yeah, because we have fucking drones now. We don't need yeah. nerve is, gas. Is there a gas that has is more in? fashion than nerve gas well i don't i think before it was nuclear bombs you know cold yeah. we're looking at a post cold war america pre 9-11 nerve gas that's the hit everybody loves it <laughs> so what's the evil weapon trope these days then i feel like we're back to nukes again Maybe. yeah i, I think yeah. nukes are making a comeback or just like terror year, terrorism in general yeah, it, it's I mean, all it's internet terrorism it's, too it's yeah internet terrorism is oh the thing. cyber hacking yeah. cyber bullying that's the oh, new cyber <laughs> See, so got, like if they if they remade The Rock, then there would it would be like about like a Reddit. It would be like a subreddit. Yeah. Then they're like, listen, if you don't if you don't pay these veterans, <laughs> I'm gonna dox your. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, Nick Cage has to take the circuits out of the rockets in this movie, but um, he wouldn't have to physically do that anymore. He'd just be a computer hacker in the new version and right. just have to like break into their. Uh, That's true, actually. Yeah. 
Because uh, rockets nowadays have Wi-Fi, so... Yeah, for there's, sure. There's no room in this world for a chemical, biological, man-trained in Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> in this fast-paced 21st century. Like All the it. chemical super freaks have got to go elsewhere. Yeah, what are you, some kind of chemical freak? Actually, I'm a biological chemical super freak. <laughs> <laughs> Side note, speaking of Wi-Fi on Alcatraz, uh, during the filming of this... Uh, Sean Connery had a little like shack built on Alcatraz where he could yeah. sleep so he wouldn't have to oh like God. ferry back and forth. He did look like a like Scottish hermit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just picture him coming. You can imagine him coming up his shack. <laughs> I picture like because the tours were still open on mm-hmm. Alcatraz too. So picture him like in those like long johns, like body length long johns, like brushing his teeth. Like, <laughs> what? He's how like far out would you? Cooking like a fish on like a frying pan <laughs> over a flame and like squatting. <laughs> like on there, sh- yeah. Sean Connery. Looking grumpy the entire well, time. He practices for his role in the rock. Who would like some smoked halibut? <laughs> <laughs> or like even better, they don't even know that he's there. Like it's not announced that he's there. So you're just on like a like a regular. You're like around. like you and your family are like visiting Alcatraz <laughs> on like vacation, and then Sean Connery looking like a haggard like homeless guy just like yeah. trudging up the rocks. <laughs> like, honey, is that? Is that Sean Connery? <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to The Rock. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, he said that every morning. He Welcome stayed to the on rock. The Rock after the movie because he loved it so much, and that's what he thought his character would have done. They actually, they, <laughs> they did they did the, uh, the premiere of this movie on Alcatraz, um, w- which is like, I don't know. Something about that seems like just really wrong to me. I know... I know they filmed it there, but like just imagining all these people in like, you know, million dollar dresses and dressed up like sitting on Alcatraz Lake watching this movie about blowing up San Francisco. I mean, the logistics must have been insane. Yeah, it it was a headache. Um, Another like small thing I want to bring up is what's up with the like zebra stripe face paint that the Marines use? I've never seen camouflage that look like that. Are you are you trying to like hide out in a flock of uh, or a flock in a herd of zebras? Zebras? Right. It's just like they each have different like just black stripes on their faces. I feel like you'd be able to you get spotted real quick. Can I also point out that there was a man with a top bun? Or a top knot. <laughs> I noticed top. that. And so I looked into this. He had this. like a trendy undercut and you know a top is? on. No. no. That's Raymond Cruz who played um, Tuco in Breaking Bad. Really? Oh. Yeah. This movie's stacked also. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, uh, there's Paxton, Forsyth. Yeah. Dude, come on. That doctor from Scrubs. Yeah, lots of uh, good character actors. Not as stacked as Con Air, but pretty stacked. I really liked uh, the sets, too. The sets were really ridiculous and cartoony. And, uh, like, the one I'm thinking of specifically is when, um, like, they tell Nick Cage that he has to go to Alcatraz and he runs into, like, the FBI bathroom and is, like, throwing up in the sink. But it looks like... I I don't know. Well, they were on the pier. This is their headquarters that they set up on a pier. Oh, right. Pier 39. Pier 39. (laughs) Which, who knows why they picked that number, but... Right. And but the the bathroom is huge and it, it looks like a Broadway set. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, like moody like fan shadows like on the wall. Well, even all strange the al- lights and yeah. Yeah. the window. All the Alcatraz interiors too. Like I know the shot actually at Alcatraz, yeah. but it looks like a lot of those sets look like they built them to look like the maximum that you would imagine Alcatraz yeah, to look like. Some of them have to have been yeah. like that shower that they, they do the shoot. Yeah. That, that can't have actually been Alcatraz. Well, also because of the coal mine, it looks like 
gold mines underneath. Oh yeah, yeah the the. <laughs> the how, about, how about the working boiler room that is yeah. still still I'm running sure and spitting out either. fire? <laughs> Right, yeah, cause when they break in, that's the first thing, is there's, like, the spinning gears and flamethrowers or whatever that uh, they He's got a roll under for yeah. some reason. <laughs> there's no other way around these boilers. I like how he just, he, like, pulls the ski mask down. He's like, she on the other side. And then he just, like, rolls through, and you're like, that's so intense. <laughs> also, they brought him in, they bring him in, like, he's supposed to be leading them how to get into Alcatraz. So... He brings them there, which he could have just told them that there's a flamethrower tunnel that you have to roll It'll through. It would be a good heads up. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Prepare for that. And, yeah. and so they're like, what the fuck? And he's like, I, I memorized the timing. Like, I hope it hasn't changed in 20 years. But he doesn't tell them what the timing is. <laughs> then he's just like, see you later. And <laughs> he goes through. But also, like, what if it had changed? Yeah. It had been, like, 30 years. Like, so, there's no like there's no telling, like, what. Like, he just he didn't even wait to just, time it out. Yeah. <laughs> he just assumes that it's the same. What if he just got torched? And that's well, it. And that well, was just, no. like, the end. The end then they could have just kicked down the door that he opened for them. He just went on and, like, unlocked a deadbolt. That's it's, true. They could have just, yeah. Also, if he'd given them a little heads up, I'm sure there's something they could have done to like protect themselves against. Also, flames. how is that not common knowledge? We're just like, turning I, off the boilers, honestly. Yeah, turn, just turning them off. Yeah. Also, why? But why were they even on? What do they do? Yeah. If only Michael Bay thought about any of these there's questions. There's no reason why it would still be on. This yeah. is why Schwarzenegger turned the script down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just there's yeah. way too himself. many. There's way too many like logical inconsistencies going on. Too here. many lie lies, not enough true lies. <laughs> true. Lie lies. Um, yeah, uh, before we completely lose sight of it, um, let's talk about that gay barber. Oh, Oh, well, because going back a little bit. So, because Sean Connery insists that he needs to be checked into a hotel before he goes to the rock because he needs to feel the the feel of a shoot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he wants like a shower, a a shave, and a new suit, right? A feel of a shoot. (laughs) And, and, uh, Emily, you do, you do a really good Connery. Yeah. So and he pulls he pulls this super long string out of like the shower itself. Yeah. To so strangle what was that string for? Is that a common? Are there just strings? I don't know. But showers. What and was up with? Hotels? Yeah, I have no idea. Um, that seemed like a really uh, specific and again another like logical inconsistency. Where it's like, well, what's the one thing that he needs to pull yeah. this off? But you're also like, but what is that? Like, what actually? Because that's like a, not a recognizable thing. I feel like that must be like, oh, he's just gonna use that thing. That's crazy. Yeah, it's like there's <laughs> other things he could have done. Like, I feel like he could have even taken down the shower curtain or yeah. done that. Like, yeah. something even more creative than pulling a random string out of the wall because no one knows what the fuck that is. Right. It's like they were set on him strangling someone with a string, and they're like. He needs a string. Where's he going to get it? Where could there possibly be a string? Just pull it out of the string hole in the shower. Like, um, and and that's the kind of thing. (laughs) This is the kind of thing that, like, as, like, uh. Did we Google those string holes? We should (laughs) Shower string hole? (laughs) Google shower string hole. I will once, like, the mic back. The kind of thing that, as, like, a 12 year old, I wouldn't have questioned. Like, I, um, like I was just like oh yeah it's just one it's like you know whenever like technology is present I've never like used a supercomputer I've never shot like a chemical weapon so sure they're in beads like but it, it's apparently they're not though 
So I was reading up on this, and apparently putting them in glass beads is, like, almost unheard of. And there was someone... At least. Yeah, I mean, definitely. But there was someone who, during the whole, during the whole like, uh, Iraq, like... Uh, Chilcot report. Like, yeah, right. So there was someone that, like... Some official that like lied about something in the report. You can you can look they this up. I don't uh, remember so all the specifics. What, 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 what they did is they said uh, they they had an intelligence talking about how Saddam Hussein was continuing to create chemical weapons. This is early two thousands. Yes, is like pre pre two thousand three, um, and they they basically described the way <laughs> they were making the weapons and holding them as being the same, keeping them in beads. Like in uh, in this in the rock, and that they do not do that. Nobody does that. Anybody who knows anything about chemical weapons knows that this is not a thing. <laughs> so yeah, basically, in, uh, information that was used to to start the war in Iraq was taken from the rock. Did th- did anyone call them out on it? Eventually, they found out, and then he admitted, like, yeah. Yeah, I got it from the rock. Oh my god! But the but the ball was already. I don't, I don't rolling. know about about the admitting, but yeah, it's basically this is discovered well after the war. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that that nobody did any research. So the rock is the reason we went into Iraq. Wow. Welcome to Iraq. Welcome to Iraq. <laughs> Solid as a rock. Um, but this, as a slightly off topic now, but the retractable strings in a shower are are a thing. There are a lot of times in hotel showers because. People say that they're for like people. It's like for like retractable clothesline. That's not what it's like for. That's, people... that's not what it's for. It's for you know autoerotic fixation. That's what it's for. <laughs> that is the only reason I could think of. Yeah, that's why they have them in hotels. Oh, okay, so it is a thing. Yeah. I just I just looked down on my notes and I have the quote written. So, Unless you're 21, a guitarist and from Seattle, it's a grunge thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, he doesn't know grunges. He's I, been in jail this whole time. I think there were someone was talking about Sean Connery's hair. Dude, think mm-hmm. about that. Sean Connery's never heard smells like Teen Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, okay, true true story. Um, according to uh, the unauthorized biography of Nicolas Cage, the man behind Captain Curly by Ian Markham Smith and Liz Hodgson, um, <laughs> when Nick Cage met Sean Connery, he was singing uh, a Beach Boys song. He was singing like Surf and Safari to himself, and and Sean, and Sean Connery was like, "Like, what are you singing?" And he's like, "It's the Beach Boys." He's like, "I've never heard of them." No, <laughs> yeah, really, I believe it. Really, Sean Connery's and, not just like a cool guy. Uh, Nick Cage was like, "Oh, they came out around the same time you did." He's like, "Oh." <laughs> Which begs the question, what does Sean Connery listen to? I bet he listens to, like, big band music. Yeah. yeah I feel like Tony Bennett or, like, Frank yeah. Sinatra. Like, or probably his like favorite his thing in the world Sinatra. is golfing. Like, didn't, we, didn't we, like, decide he was a Leo and we found out it's true? He truly is a Leo. Virgo Leo Cusp. Virgo Leo Cusp. Interesting. Yeah, but there's, like, a... there's a, I mean, if you type Sean Connery into, like, Google Image, most of the, most of the pictures will be of him in like full golfing attire. <laughs> like he's like, he's yeah. extremely Scottish in this that is, respect. That's like, what he does. I think it's his only passion in life. Really. He doesn't even really care for acting. <laughs> he doesn't No, he, At this point, he's just a well, golfer. And since the beginning, he, he always said, this is the easiest job in the world. Any idiot can do it. That's he, so cool. <laughs> I know the fact that he does it so well and he doesn't even give a shit about it. Uh-huh. He's like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm only acting. Acting's like his day job to fund his like golfing passion. Yeah. <laughs> Living in shacks on islands. <laughs> Probably just practic- practicing his swing, just like <laughs> knocking balls into the bay. 
<laughs> he buys. You know, it's kind of a shame. Also, he became such an action star because he's got a, a severe hatred of guns. Oh, really? Yeah, he hates guns. And that's like his whole career has been holding guns in movies. Yeah. So it's got to hurt him a little bit. So I guess to give him that, you know, let's give him, he does put a little bit of effort. He's just got to go golf it out. Got to golf that energy out. Work that stress off. Okay. So Gay Barber, um, this is like the most, uh, uh, I I don't know if it was the most offensive character, but it was. uh, I think it was. The most offensive character for the longest. I don't know. I mean, judging one character, the most offensive, but it was egregious. What? I mean, the fact that he, oh God, was he like, oh, who did you before? Like, he had no idea who he was. He was just like this yeah. weird, valid. Well, how would like, you know? There was, I just had to cut someone's hair. Oh my God. How would you know they're in San Francisco if they didn't have a, a, gay, a gay hairstylist? They should just blow it up. <laughs> <laughs> and at the very, at the end, after, uh, after Sean Connery, like drops that dude off the, um, mm-hmm. d- off the building with on yeah. the string, By the miraculously w- didn't just come right off. Yeah. And the next scene, he just is, had his arms just in a sling. You know, they really, they really dangled that guy over that building. They got phone calls from the police saying there's somebody hanging off the side of the, the Fairmount. When they were making the movie. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Actually, I think a lot of the stunts in this were were real. Like there, there wasn't a lot of CGI in it. The only um, they even they even destroyed a tr- uh, trolley car. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, they made like a light fabrication of it. Like they they rebuilt it, but with like super light materials, mm. so it would combust. But blow up easier. Yeah, <laughs> blow up easier. <laughs> but yeah, the, he dangles that guy off the edge, and then the barber's like, "I didn't see you dangle that gentleman off the edge. I just do you like your haircut." Yes. <laughs> So. That was the groaner. That was the biggest groaner in the film, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't hold up well. But again, this is not this is not a movie for the gays. It's not a movie for women. It's, it's really not a movie for anyone except I teenage boys. Yeah. yeah I mean and pretty he said, much. He's he has admitted that he makes movies for teenage boys. That's what Michael Bay does. Yeah, yeah, that's and his hey, brand. You know, somebody's gotta somebody's do it. Somebody's gotta do it, yeah. I just I don't wish- wanna do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad he's doing it. I just wish they were better. I mean, because like you were saying, like, this is the, if, if this was the first Michael Bay movie I saw as a kid and, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, I like this and I would have thought, I, you know, if someone had told me like, hey, a movie about space just came out about asteroids from the same guy who made The Rock and be like, oh, cool, but... Like, Armageddon is terrible. But I remember, because mm. Armageddon was the first Michael Bay movie I saw. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I remember going to see it in the theaters. It was also one of the first, it wasn't the first, but it was one of the first couple R-rated movies that I actually saw, like, in the theater when they came out. And I remember just being like, it, like, blew my mind when really? I saw it. Yeah, and of course, like, it's a terrible movie. And, you know, if you go back and watch it now, it's like, <sighs> I don't even know. Would you say it left a deep... Deep impact on you. (laughs) (laughs) Movie buffs will get that joke. (laughs) Um, Yes, yes, Austin, I would say that it left a deep impact on me. Um, And furthermore, uh, Dante's Peak. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, but it was cool. You liked it. Yeah, but but I'm saying like there's something there's something to that just appeals to like the reptilian brain about just like fast chases, big explosions, high stakes. I yeah, but I I've just always like I saw Armageddon wanting to like. It I mean, the, the whole a, point of Armageddon is like literally the world is gonna end, right? Yeah. 
Like you but they can't... have to get onto the asteroid and drill a hole into <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> well, the, if you think about it, you're not going to like it. I don't know about you, but when I saw that movie, the first time I saw it, I, I thought, this is fantastic. <laughs> the second time I watched it, I was like, wait, none of this makes any sense. And, and then the, the third, third time, time I watched it, I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. But that's the thing about Michael Bay movies. They're not movies to use your head with. They're just something you, you sit in there and you shove that popcorn in your mouth and you, you just love it. I don't know. I Take feel, it as it is. I feel like I'm pretty good at turning my brain off for, well, that's not true. But I, I'm, I'm good at turning right, the right parts of my brain off for movies. But I just like, I, I, there's just something so joyless to me about Michael Bay movies, even though he like clearly enjoys the stunts. And like blowing stuff up, like you just got to make sure you go in for that, though. If you go in for anything yeah. other than yeah. car chases and explosions, otherwise and I feel like besides like a super hyper saturated like color, you're and thinking too hard about it. Yeah, honestly, clearly. I just like you know the Rock was fun. The Rock was fun though. I feel like I haven't even seen that many other Michael Bay movies besides. I, I, I haven't really, I haven't even really ever watched any Michael Bay. There's not a lot more you want to see. I always <laughs> feel like I start to get really like tired and bored when there's like too much action. They're Do you exhausted. guys know how many more Transformer movies there are now? Does anybody know how many Transformers? I think they're on like five or six. Five or six. Also, didn't he like produce the new Baywatch movie that that guy in the paper thought didn't have enough boobs? (laughs) Wait a minute. What? If you said this. (laughs) If you give me a second, I'll I'll find it. We can also Uh, find it later. Yeah. I I already pulled my phone out to look at the Transformers uh, franchise. They just put one out. There's an ears and it was coming one out, out now. right now. It's coming out right now, I think. Starring Sir so, Anthony you know, this, Hopkins. This is technically a plug, and if Michael Bay wants to send you guys money, <laughs> yeah. hey, welcome, welcome to, to the, the rock. rock. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what, what happens after everything we talked about? All right, well, we talked about the barber. We talked that they, they, they roll into Alcatraz, <laughs> literally. <laughs> and um, Underwater. It's like the most dramatic entry. And the rest of it's kind of, like, in terms of a timeline, is kind of a blur to me. Yeah, me too. I so, really, so like, get, it sounds like... Go, well, let's talk about the entry for a second, though. They get, they fly out on helicopters from the pier. They have their, they, the FBI base is in Pier 39. They take helicopters from there halfway across the bay, and then they jump out and jump uh-huh. in the water and go underwater all the way through. Now, it seems to me that they could have skipped the whole helicopter bit and still made it to the rock okay. But, you know, I don't know. I'm not an FBI man. You're thinking too much. Um, I'm thinking too much. <laughs> thinking there too much I go thinking it. again. <laughs> I got to stop that. Yeah, um, I, 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 clearly someone, be it Michael Bay, be it Stanley Goodspeed, some, somebody wanted to use those weird, like, little, uh, they looked like ski doos. Yeah, I don't know what those are called. The, I don't, they just remind me of G.I. Joe every time yeah, I see them. Yeah, are those a real thing, that they, they swim into the rock be. with the... And remember, remember Nicolas Cage's girlfriend in the movie um, says, Stanley can't even snorkel! <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, I I can ski-doo right into the rock. Watch me roll under this flame. So there they are. They get through the boiler room. They get through the boiler room. They start walking through those underground tunnels. And they right, there's so many tunnels under the rock. Like I'm, it's they all blend together to me. Yeah, I feel like they. And, and I know more you, type underground than anything in that movie. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And I know what you mean about the timeline where it gets really confusing. The only thing that kept me grounded was when they keep cutting back to the FBI or the Pentagon, mm-hmm. and then they give you the little readout at the bottom telling you how many hours or minutes until the deadline. Right. Because oh, pretty yeah, much it's like just they show up, they you know 
take the ski dews down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the then, helicopters. and then from then on out, it's just a blur until it cuts back to the Pentagon and it says like 53 minutes until, you know, deadline. And then that's when the, the mutiny happens where he launches the first rocket. And then I want to point out real quick to get back to Armageddon that the president in this movie was the same president the same. in Armageddon. Really? Yes. Yeah. It's the same it's actor. The same it's the same universe. world, yeah. which is the most dangerous timeline. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I mean, like at this point, right after the rock happens, and I'm sure that's in, imprinted in people's minds. It must be really like dark time for America. I wonder it's if there's a way. Coming. Yeah. What, what if it's all just one giant like, uh, like Bay multiverse? <laughs> Are the Transformers part of the same one? Oh, this, it's just Michael wow. Bay future. Yeah. And Pearl Harbor. Wait, was that happen? Oh, did Pearl Harbor happen? But it, that's a crazy timeline where Pearl Harbor happens. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> where it all stems us. That's where it, it, it kind of comes its own timeline. That's where it Pearl splits. Harbor. Yeah. Pearl, uh, Pearl Harbor is where our universe splits off from the Bay universe. Yeah. <laughs> right. In, in our universe, there's the Pearl Harbor from our history books. And in the Bay universe, there's the one with Pearl Ben Harbor, Affleck. Yeah. yeah. Um, Wait, which then begs the question, is there no goodwill hunting in the Bay universe? (laughs) Where's Ben Affleck in that universe? (laughs) Who's there, Batman? (laughs) You mean Val Kilmer kept doing it for 30 years? Oh, God damn it. It truly is the darkest timeline. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here's just some images and things I remember from underneath Alcatraz. I remember they go into the oldest tunnels in Alcatraz, and he says that, and there's like a gas lantern hanging from the wall. Like, the one. Again, in the tunnels, there's still lamps lit. Who goes down and lights them? Sean Connery does when he lives in his little shack. He brought them with him, I'm sure. lights all the things everywhere. And there's mine carts down there. (laughs) Yeah, so the mine carts. I I did check. I did the research. There was never a mine on Alcatraz. (laughs) Why? Why would there be? I know Treasure Island is just the other way. Right? You just go to Treasure Island for that kind of crap, you know. But the, I mean, those prisoners are just sitting there being unproductive. Might as well have a mine the fuck out of the island. Yeah, maybe I mean, he was telling us of something. Maybe there's a conspiracy here. Maybe, maybe those prisoners were actually mining. I mean, maybe there's Sean a Connery would know he is. He does he know everything about all of the conspiracies. Well, that's true. Watch for Stanley Goodspeed to come back as. Benjamin Franklin Gates to find the national treasure hidden under Alcatraz mm-hmm. in National Treasure 3, Rock of Secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that series never ends, to be honest. But I hope that series is in the same universe. <laughs> I wish it was. Ooh. Oh, the, the Bruckheimer-verse. The yeah, the Bruckheimer. Maybe it's not the ba- Michael Bay miniverse. It's the Bruckheimer-verse. Could be. <laughs> I mean, th- yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be in that universe. We're all living in it. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you guys know? Losers always complain about their best, but winners go home and fuck the prom queen. And did you know that Stanley Goodspeed's wife was the fucking prom queen? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, talking about the mine carts, the, the gold mine in Alcatraz is right under the morgue, which is connected by a laundry chute. So I read that they actually had a minecart chase scene lined up, but it was too expensive, and they they, they scrapped it. So we could have had a minecart race. It's a little just like, what well, what's going on of, here? Why are we in minecarts mine now? They got a little bit of minecart action. That, that comes back in the National Treasure movies. There, there are minecart chases. So uh, Bruckheimer wasn't letting it go. 
I guess uh, I guess Michael Bay just chose the Ferrari chase instead. They complement each other quite well. You know, you've got your car chase. Okay. Anyway, so they're they're down there in the mines. Yeah, that that dude gets his uh, his feet blasted with. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I just wrote. Ew, yeah. I wrote barbecue legs. I don't remember how it happens exactly. Oh, he throws he throws uh, like gasoline on his feet or, or his kerosene. Sean Connery does, and then lights him on fire. Right. Oh. No, no. I think you're thinking of two different things. Like oh. he sets one guy's feet on fire. And then the other guy in the shootout, he pulls the drawer out from underneath the desk, uh. and so he can shoot from the ground. Oh, yeah. And then he like takes out the guy's feet. And then and there's like the close up, and then there's just like the feet like exploding with blood. And then if that yeah. weren't like, enough, he shoots the air conditioner out. <laughs> yeah, that's over right. Him, lands straight on his head. Oh, <laughs> it crushes yeah, him brutal. to death. That was a many, that many was definitely the most brutal lost kill. Their lives. Yeah. Well, that was that guy wasn't innocent. <laughs> he was a terrorist. He deserved it. <laughs> What about the scene where uh, the the grenade goes off and Sean Connery jumps into the clawfoot bathtub to... Does that work? Well, they say that porcelain's supposed to save you in, like, an earthquake or something. Oh, what? really? Why? With, um... Grenades? Grenades. <laughs> I mean, it, well, if no, Indiana Jones could survive a nuclear school. blast in a fridge, yeah. So yeah. I was gonna say. then you could do a grenade in, yeah. a, in yeah. a bathtub. I just... I Like, there are clawfoot tubs at Alcatraz? Right. I mean, it, maybe in your shack. It's, but it's an old prison. I can't imagine a bunch of prisoners sitting around taking baths in cloud to, you know, <laughs> cloud tubs. That seems a bit weird. But in case a grenade goes off, I guess they're good to have around. Mm-hmm. I'll take pleasure in gutting you, boy. I wrote that oh, down too. Right, that extra evil guy said that. Zeus's butthole. I'm just going through my list here, my notes. Did they? They? Oh no, they go from the morgue to the minecart. I got that backwards. They were originally in the morgue there, which right. was still quite. Quite creepy, wasn't it? Yeah, they, but they were keeping missiles in, in there. Uh-huh. The first missile, for some reason. I don't know how they, they expected that missile to go out. <laughs> yeah, it was in the literally in one of the, uh, like in the wall. They picked some strange places for the, for the missiles. I thought they had one good spot, and that was on the lighthouse near the end. Yeah, I that mean, that's sense. the only spot I think that would work, right? Just about, they yeah. Just storing them then for fun? <laughs> no, because he had to dismantle them before they all went off. Oh, right. That's why he was so there. So this one would go probably, it would probably go from the morgue, down the laundry chute, through the mine. Right. And then through the boiler. Through the boiler. Because <laughs> they, they had timed, timed it right. Yeah, because they timed right. it right. Yeah. So that it wouldn't just catch fire. And then out the right. cave that leaves from the boiler room. Right. Through and the then, water, out of the water in the bay. Well, yeah, but it would have to get on the ski-doo underwater first. <laughs> <laughs> and ride. And around Oakland. Right. <laughs> Can you change the trajectory of a missile that quickly in midair? You mean when Ed Harris gets cold feet yeah. and, and changes it? Because it was like... Well, he changed it. I, 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 like, towards this part <laughs> of the movie, I was like, I don't, I don't really know what's happening. Anymore. Right, because they, they force him into like shooting the missile at, and he's like, the time to act is now the, right. bad, the bad guy. But I just thought it just missed on accident. I didn't even realize he... I was like glazed over, I guess, at that point. No, he, uh, yeah, he changes it while it's in midair. And it flies. and then it just literally like does a U turn and crashes into the ocean. And kills oh. kills a million fish instead. Yeah. Kills a blue whale. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that we want to hit on? Like, 
I well, I, mean, okay, so I feel like we're missing some something big and important. It, and then at the end, he God, there really out just the isn't a lot. Yeah, so the, the, he comes out. That's skipping like the, the half of the movie. Oh my god! Yeah, but that that scene is so epic when he runs out like with this light behind him, where he runs out with the flares right. in his hand. Well, don't forget that he just he he put he put one of the green balls into a dude's mouth and then punches yeah. him in the mouth. Ew. So the chemicals come out and like eat his face away. And then Nick Cage stabs himself in the heart with a needle right. to keep himself mm. from also getting acidized. That in the beginning, when he's still being a scientist, that guy, they, the gas goes off. And then he almost has like, to do it. I can't just stab myself in the heart. Which you'd think they would have trained them, like told them the protocol of how to do that. His friend was also playing with the little baby doll that spit all oh, the right. gas out. He's really being unprofessional. I mean, if you're getting like a crate that may or may not contain like corrosive uh, chemical agents. I think your best bet is probably to like not play with whatever's in there. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time for the FBI. The nineties, they, they were bored. There was just nothing to do. I mean, like yeah, you know, you saw them in their office, yeah, just, like right, making right. Rube Goldberg Shoot, devices, shooting, like Nerf guns. And yeah, stuff. <laughs> unless uh, unless you were part of the X Files, and I imagine in the nineties there wasn't really much for you to do as a <laughs> as an agent. <laughs> you know, just sitting around waiting for uh, the Serbs to send you something explosive. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so, so well, I want to quickly talk about that scene where he's running out with the flares. Yeah. yeah. So apparently he was very inspired by that Bitten Birdie, which is another movie that you guys touched on earlier. Yeah. That was his main influence for his his acting. Wait, there. which which part in Birdie? I think in the bit on the roof. I'm not really 100 percent sure, but there's I don't know. I haven't. Well, no. Seen now I'm trying Birdie. to think about the the climax of Birdie. It's oh, I've seen so many movies in between Birdie and now. I mean, there's a the scene where he's in the suit. Where he's and, and he's I on the roof you, and he's honestly. like f- and he's like running around and flapping. Is that it? Yeah. There's a lot of like grown men flapping their arms in birdie. So and oh. like with their arms <laughs> spread. <the> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to know. Birdie or a bunch of grown men flapping their arms. <laughs> Sounds like a European film. <laughs> it's Bergman's unfinished masterpiece. Oh. <laughs> Here, I I've got I, I've got something. I, I think this is interesting. Um, because it's sort of unlocked for me um, something that part of the reason that I w- wanted to do this podcast, you know, thinking about Nick Cage's career trajectory and why, why. He, you he, mean like uh, why he does certain roles? Or right. Picks certain well, why, why did we go from Raising Arizona and Vampire's Kiss and Moonstruck to The Rock and Face Off and Snake Eyes to... Captain Corelli's mandolin and, uh, you know, when you put it like that, whatever yeah. the fuck the family man. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, whatever 10 movies he's putting out this year. So, I mean, we've talked before that this is like a, a big turning point for him. He just won the Oscar for, uh, leaving Las Vegas and, um, no one was expecting him to, to do an action film. It's it's one of the craziest 180s in Hollywood history, I think. Yeah. Like, do you think so? From from leaving Las Vegas to The Rock? I mean, I think so. Yeah, they're, they're two very different roles, but I I don't know. I could see Nicolas Cage becoming an action man at this time. But but he had at the, the body, time, he had at, the fucking name. At, at the time though, like he hadn't I I guess he would it's hard to imagine him being like an unlikely action star because mm-hmm. he's like done it so thoroughly since then 
I mean, they got they got Tom Cruise doing it just a few years earlier, and even even Mission Impossible came out the same year as The Rock. Right. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's time a time of action. of action. And so part of the reason that this happened, I guess, is that like, you know, he, he we said last time like he doesn't feel like his punk rock anymore because he, he he's nothing he doesn't have anything to rebel against because he can get into the rooms with the big people with the big money and basically do whatever he wants. He says that, that I'm going to read from the book again. Um, and he's talking, he's going to talk about the, the, he's referring to the super eight movies that he used to make with his brother who went on to direct him in Deadfall. Um, so he, he said, the funniest thing about it is this is probably the most expensive movie I've ever made. And for some reason, I just got that super eight feeling that I used to have when I was a kid, when my brother and I would make movies, we'd be like, okay, let's put that over there. And now you're going to fall down and you pick the gun up. Ironically, the bigger the movie and the more action involved, the more you feel like a kid playing in your backyard. That's kind of a fun feeling and an infectious feeling. And as long as you come from that good place uh, where you know you're enjoying yourself, then I think the movie will be enjoyable. So I, I really think that that ethos informs a lot of his career from this I point on. I agree with that statement, too. Like, I, and, and, you can tell movies where people are... Like I always talk about uh-huh. that. Yeah, you can tell where people are having fun. Yeah. And he is having fun making this Definitely. movie. Definitely. Yeah. You don't get any any other sense than he's having a freaking great time. And when you like see things where people aren't having a good time, it's also like weirdly makes you feel weird. You know? When you're like, ugh. This movie's wrong. Right. Something's <laughs> wrong. Well, I mean, the, thinking about like Trapped in Paradise or uh, the, you know, the Nick Cage movies we've seen where we know he was miserable or Firebirds, mm-hmm. like... Um, it definitely shows, but I, it makes sense to me that like he is an actor who would thrive in an action format where what is being asked, asked of him is just like, I, I mean, cause he can do a deep role. He can mm-hmm. turn in like a deep performance. He can, but I don't think that he gets the most out of those kind of roles. I don't think he necessarily wants to. Right. He Which to, is he why has to change, you know, yeah. he has to keep changing. Yeah. And he's, he's an extremely, he's an extremely restless artist. And I think that that informs a lot of his work is this wrestle between he knows that he can and is expected to do more, but really I think he just does it because it feels good and it's fun. And these kind of roles are the most enjoyable for him. Right. I think, I think the turning point here was that these became the most fun roles for him. Like doing a little indie movie became, would, I think would feel more like uh, a job maybe like he already did that. And that this is, this is how he gets the feeling back of, having fun making movies. Right. And it's interesting that there are pockets like matchstick men or bringing like, out the dead yeah, adaptation where like, he definitely does go back to his more, you know, grounded, like indie, if not in practice, at least in feel, right. You know, these sorts of movies and pulls it forth. And like most of the directors in these situations really get the most out of him from these. But honestly, I think there is a sense of him just being like, okay, I know I can do that really well, so if I'm not enjoying it, why should I keep doing it? Like, I've already right. proven that I can do uh, it. And, and I don't know. I thought that was interesting. This is, this is the first of what he calls my triple action album, which yeah, is this. It's his trilogy, really. Yeah, I mean. So we got the Sunshine Trilogy. The Sunshine Trilogy. And now we have the, the triple, triple action, action album. Yeah. Part of the Sunshine Trilogy again? It so, Could Happen to You. Uh, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. 
and um, Trapped in Paradise. Um, it could uh, happen to you. Guarding Tess? No. No. <laughs> no, God, no. That's in this bad trilogy. Uh, have you seen Guarding Tess, Austin? I haven't seen the whole God damn. Right it's, it's legitimately one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's so I dire. It's a fucking insult. Just from listening to you guys' podcast previously. I've, oh, I've, did you listen to that one? Emily's on it. It's good. But yeah, you should listen to well, it. Well, maybe I'll give it a listen. Listen to me talk more. I'm not going to. Oh. <laughs> they were in talks to make a sequel to The Rock. That's true. Um, really? First, we got to talk about how it ended. The Rock, too. Before we get into the sequel. Oh, right. Yeah, we were probably... Well, because the because it ends with uh, Nick Cage and his uh, high school prom queen bride, um, in like Sean Connery tells them where the microfilm is. Yeah, so they go and they find that for whatever reason. Oh yeah, I forgot this was the button on the movie. It, yeah. Oh yeah. my god, this is such a weird ending. Right. They they they, they it's in like a church in, in like, like Kansas Kentucky City or something. Or something. Yeah. 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 And. Uh, and Nick Cage comes out and he's looking at the microfilm. He's like, honey, want to know who killed JFK? And I love how he runs out of the church like, I got it. Let's go. Let's go. It's like <laughs> he did just break into a church. He could just walk into a church. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so did he tell him where that was hidden? Then? Yeah. Sean Connery told him where it was hidden. The preacher is running after yeah. them, though, as if he knew where, the, rock, or where the, the microfilm was. I mean, he would have to know. There's no way you could stash something There's in a pew There's got to be some sort of Dan Brown years. secret on yeah. this thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> find out Jesus's brother's name or something. Maybe maybe <laughs> da, maybe the Da Vinci Code also takes place in the in the in the Bruckheimer verse. Um, but they were talking about doing a sequel uh, about Stanley Goodspeed um, being pursued by the feds, by the police, right? Yeah. Um, ironic. Great. That sounds like it would have been. Great. And only only Sean with Connery his, with his teenage bride. And only Sean Connery can help him for some reason. So he has to come out of retirement. But, but the reason I think it, well, okay, so there's that, and also. That's pretty much all they had, from what I understood. It was just like that idea. Yeah, that was the only idea they had. So can't really make too much on that. It's not too late yet. Sean Connery's still alive. Yeah, you, Michael Bay. He's got to be bored at this point. Yeah, but do you know how many games of golf can you golf? If they can make Independence Day two, like twenty years later, yeah, they can definitely make The Rock too. Yeah, they could fuck this film though. Yeah, exactly. It's a big question. In the right Bruckheimer there. verse, that's an irrelevant question. <laughs> yeah, you're, comple- you're completely right. <laughs> if they can, they will, and they must. All right. Austin Cook, mm. Emily, Yeah. thank you for being here. Thank you. It um, was a pleasure, as always. As always. If I you, hope it didn't get too derailed. I hope uh, it won't be terrible to edit with me Good and Emily sharing the mic. Miles. The, the high frequency of my voice might make it a problem. I apologize. <laughs> you might have to add some sort of, I don't know. It's cool. I'm just going to like redub everyone's, uh, <laughs> everyone's dialogue after the fact. Can you redub me with like a robot voice? It's just, it's just me talking like this. It should be a voice like that. Can you just lower my voice like a lot? So it, like how they do when they don't want people's identities to be revealed in um, <laughs> true crime documentaries. We're on Instagram at Heat Seeking Panther. Um, I don't, do we have anything else to plug? Are you ready? Un- until next time.
gotta say, I That's also like Zac Efron before he became a pretty boy. <laughs> really? Isn't he, isn't he from Disney? High yeah. School Musical. Yeah. Yeah, before he sold out. Before he sold out, yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, I like Zach's early work. <laughs> <laughs> if you're familiar with me and Orson Welles, it's actually a fine film. Oh, my God. Did he play Orson Welles? <laughs> no, he that, played. I think he played me. Yeah. He, he gained a lot of weight to become Orson Welles, actually. <laughs> And, and that's, I think that was the, the, the comment about his breasts. <laughs> yeah. He hadn't quite lost it all they yet. They were left over from, yeah. Yeah, from when he Wells. played Orson Welles. <laughs> I mean, he, he could play Shakespeare. He could play Orson Welles, really. <laughs> right. I love that insult so much. That's like, what are you, fucking Einstein? What do you play, fucking Shakespeare in the movies? Yeah, you I never saw you play Shakespeare in no movies. <laughs> You know, who played Shakespeare was Keanu Reeves in that. Um, this is true. He, he's in fact, I guarantee we can find a list of actors worse than Zac Efron who have played Shakespeare. 